your Bibles are open to Psalm 1, let's stand in honor of God and his word. This is our custom here, and I'll, I'll be reading uh, all of Psalm 1, just six verses from the, the English Standard Version. Psalm 1, 1 starts with this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish." You may be seated and let's pray, ask God to bless our time. Father, we're grateful for your word. Uh, we are people in need, whether we are believing that right now or not, we are people in desperate need of you and instruction from your word. And so I just ask that you would bless our time and teach us. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. You have tried the Christian thing and it's not working. You've got to get some answers. You are unsettled, you are tired, you're confused, and you are done. It's just not working. Some of you may be there. And if you are, uh, you, you've, uh, let me just say, you've probably made a big assumption, if that's where you are, that, that you have perfectly applied every gospel application of the Bible and the promises aren't working. <laughs> Um, that's a pretty big assumption, not to be too harsh there, but that can kind of feed our flesh a little bit, right? You know, I, I've nailed it when it comes to the Christian life and all the application of the Bible, and it's not working. Now, not all of us would say we're there. At least you don't think you're there. Um, you might be in the place where you wouldn't think that you're done with Christianity, it's not working, but let me ask you, do you sin? Not getting a lot of amens there. Um, do you sin? Yes, right? Amen, we do. Do you do things that are contrary to what the Bible says? Yes, we do. So what is our thinking? When we go to sin, what we're saying, God, you have a plan for me. You have a way that you'd say my life can go that will find joy. But that's not going to work. I'm going to sin instead. This path of sin is better. That's not working. This path is better. Okay, so although you might not say Christianity's not working, you know, all the problems, this is not happening, we say it every time we sin, right? So what I'm saying is we're all on the same page here. Whether or not you would say it's not working for you or whether you would never say that, but you sin, we're all on the same page. We all try to make sense of life apart from God. This feeds our flesh again, right? I can find my way. I can do what will make my life better and easier. We have a leaning towards trying to make sense of life without God. Our flesh says, I can delight in that. I can delight in things other than God's word and what he tells me. So here's what we're looking at today. Here, if you're taking notes, this, this is the theme that goes above all those notes on your page. It's this, Script, the scripture provides the believer with life-giving counsel and joy. The scripture provides the believer 
with life-giving counsel and joy. Life-giving counsel and joy. This morning, we're going to be studying poetry. And before I lose some of you who think, oh, poetry, uh, the Psalms, you know, give me, give me something like Proverbs or James. Give me some clear instruction here. Um, if you gather up all the poetry of the Bible, it equals the length of the New Testament. God uses poetry greatly in his word. If I haven't won you over yet, maybe you can relate to this. The other day I was looking for a playlist to listen to on Spotify. I'm, I'm kind of an 80s rock buff, maybe even some 70s rock buff. And so I was talking to my daughters, Addie and Sadie, about this. And my daughter, Addie, um, pointed out a, a specific um, 80s uh, playlist uh, to listen to. Now, now, I'm 45 years old. I'm kind of a child of, of the 80s. Um, and I could sing song after song after song on that playlist. Now, don't judge me, okay? Um, but th- there's something about music, right? Something about songs that just kind of implant things deeply in us. You know, I, I could sing to you right now, I just called to say I love you, or what's love got to do with it? I could sing those songs, or I won't, I'll spare you. Um, but these, these songs connect to us, right? Because they connect to our emotions and This is one of the purposes behind the book of Psalms. It takes God's instructions and it plants it deeply within us through song and and poetry. Now, Psalm 1 specifically has been called the gateway to the entire book of Psalms. Okay. And the scripture provides the believer with life-giving counsel and joy. So let's look at the man who receives this life-giving counsel and joy. This is the first point on your notes. The blessed man thrives. Verses 1 through 3, the blessed man thrives. In verse 1, the term blessed here means truly happy. Uh, the original word is actually plural. So one could say it's translated as the, you know, the, the blessednesses, right? It's this, this sense of, of overwhelming blessedness, overwhelming happiness and joy. This overwhelmed man thrives. And so let's look at verse two first, because uh, that talks about how he, why, why he's like that. How, how does he thrive? And, and our, our sub point underneath our, our main point is, is he delights. And so we're going to look at verse two, then we'll go back and look at verses one and three and look at the results of his delighting. But verse two, he delights. The blessed man thrives and he delights. Verse two says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The law of the Lord here, God's instruction to Israel, the Torah here. But for us today, we have so much more of God's instruction in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it says that he meditates on it. Or another way of thinking about that, there's this active pondering not just getting to the Bible in a year. And I have nothing against reading through the Bible in a year. In fact, I'm, I'm trying to listen to the Bible in, in, in 2021. But there's a, a pause here where the blessed man slows down. Doesn't that sound just refreshing as you hear that? Just slowing down and actively pondering God's word. It says he does it day and night. There's a note in the ESV study Bible that says, the idea of facing every situation, be it ever so mundane, with a view to please the Lord by knowing and following his word. That's what this active pondering is like. 
And so let me just give you an example. If I were meditating on Psalm 1 verse 2 in my own personal devotional time, I might, I might sit and ponder there and say, okay, his delight is in the law of the Lord, delighting. What's it look like for me to, Lord, help me to delight in you. He is, he is, he is finding such joy in the law of the Lord. God, help me to find that joy. How, how do I, what do I put in place in my life to, to find delight in God's word and, and to do it day and night? God, does that mean that I'm reading the Bible without taking my eyes off the words? I, I, I've got to, to, to go to the office. I've got to help with things around the house, but but would you allow, Lord, your, your word just to, to penetrate the, the hardness of my heart that wants to delight in other things? Help me delight in the law of the Lord. And, and would you help me to do that just constantly? Well, what do I need to put in my life, Lord, to, to, to do that? that? That's what I'm talking about, this active pondering. And then it's not just then I, I shut off my devotional time, and then, then I go about my day. Right? I'm continuing to think about this passage throughout my day. That, that's what this active pondering is like. And so I don't know if it's something on my dashboard, on my, the mirror where I shave, on my desk, or wherever, but I, I want to think about the passage I'm meditating constantly. Now, why, why do we need to do this? Why, why can't we just, hey, let me just kind of read the Bible, check, check the box, and go about my day? There's this constant influx of worldly wisdom and influence that comes our way, a constant influx that comes our way. But even in the midst of that, here in Psalm 1, the blessed man still thrives, right? And here are some of the results that come from him delighting in the law of the Lord. So our second sub-point here, this active pondering brings a result. First, he, he doesn't guide his life based on the instructions of those that reject Christ or think that Christ is not enough. So let's look back at verse 1 here now. That one of the results here of delighting. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers. Now there's a couple of different interpretations of, of verse one. One is that this is a parallelism where it's, it's kind of talking about the same idea, just repeating it three times for emphasis. And I think that's a fine interpretation. Um, the other interpretation that this is a progression here. And that, that's kind of where I land here. That this is a, a progression that we see here for the, the blessed man. That first, he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. So he doesn't, um, you know, want, want to walk, uh, because he's delighting and, and actively pondering the scriptures, he doesn't want to walk in the counsel of the wicked and, and walk with them. Um, now, who are the wicked that, he's, that are being expressed here? You know, these are those that are outside of Israel who are not a part of the covenant. But it also could mean those who are within Israel who are making poor choices and not following the Lord. And so uh, the counsel here is do not walk with the wicked. But then after the instruction that the, the blessed man doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, it says, nor does he stand in the way of sinners. Now this is not saying that he, you know, standing in the way, like getting in the way of sinners, right? But it's saying that as, as he walks, he doesn't slow down as he's beginning to listen to the counsel of the wicked and, and stand and continue to kind of to soak in, in what the wicked and the sinners are saying, okay? He, he's, not, 
He's not getting in that slipstream of that, of that counsel and that influx of, of, of counsel from those who are apart from God. The blessed man won't tolerate this. He won't engage with evil. And then to take it further, the progression, he doesn't walk, he doesn't stand, he doesn't stop completely and then sit. Sit in the seat of mockers. Sit, sit with those that would make a mockery of God, these scoffers here, the ones that don't believe there is a God and think that those who do are foolish and ignorant. The point here is that the blessed person doesn't drink in and drink in from the world, doesn't continue to take it in and take it in. You can almost see here kind of this put off, put on attitude. I'm going to put off the influence of the world and put on the influence of the word. So what are some of the ways as believers in Christ that we, we take in? Now, it might not be uh, an intentional pursuit of taking in, but again, we kind of can easily fall into that slipstream of taking in worldly counsel and insights. I have a few examples here. One is social media, and maybe this is a sample uh, for our, our teens here. Um, TikTok or Instagram Reels, these really kind of quick videos that, that personify what a person is trying to express. And, you know, we know God says this is the way of living, but these constant feed of, of six-second videos can come across us that these people that, that would be living lifestyles that are separate from what God says— right? God says, here's where you find joy. And these videos can say, no, 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 no. These things, I'm, I'm practicing things that are contrary to God. I'm in a homosexual relationship and look how much joy we have here. And you, you flip by that and six seconds later, another one comes up and you go, wow, they really look like they're finding joy too. I'm not sure this is working for me. I'm not standing on the promises. I'm going to live on these premises and kind of think through, okay, boy, maybe there is more joy over here. God says joy here. Social media says, no, 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 joy here. Now, am I saying that you should get rid of all your social media? No, I have multiple social media accounts. And, and I, I enjoy using social media redemptively. And I think that's one of the things that John Piper has said. He said, I, I want to engage in social media and be a light for Christ in the midst of it. One way of using it is lasting, right? One is, is fake. In fact, I saw a video of the making of an a Instagram reel. And this Instagram reel had this couple, I think they were in like Italy or some, some European town. And, and uh, um, the video had them uh, leaning out of a, a balcony window and just kind of lovingly embracing each other. And, and it's just this real persona of, wow, this is living, right? And, and the video showed kind of how that was made. And the guy of the couple was down at the bottom of the stairs, you know, with the camera and the tripod. And he go, and he kind of runs up the stairs. And, okay, ready? And they're, oh, and they hit this pose, right? And then beep, bang. okay, now we're done. Okay, and he runs back down, checks. Okay, yeah, that was good, that was good, right? But that was real, real, what they were experiencing, right? That's joy. And meanwhile, God says, no, oh, there's so much joy here and delight in the word. Social media is one. Relationships are another way. Um, now, now, please don't, don't hear me telling you to end all relationships with people that, that don't think just like you. But I think we can allow relationships to shape who we are 
more than delighting in God's word. We want to be the influencer in relationships with those who do not follow the Lord. We want to be an influencer for Christ. Uh, a third one, music. Again, I mentioned this earlier. I think, I think music seeps into us. Now, again, I, I love 70s and 80s music, and I, I listen to it when I run. But there's something different when I run to music that points me to the Lord. This is a certain just state of my soul that is different. I remember one time I was running at, at Five Points, and, and Neil Gerber was also running there. And I, I didn't ask Neil if I could share this example, but it, it, it makes Neil look good, so I'll, I'll go ahead and share it. Um, I was running and, and, and Neil came upon me and he's right next to me and he just leans over and he goes, isn't this great just to worship the Lord while we run? And I was really hurting at that point. So I'm like, yeah, Neil, thanks. You know, <laughs> you, know you look really good while you're running. I'm, I'm not looking as good. Um, but, but yeah, there's just something, it's a state of our soul as we allow music to seep into us. And I believe that's what Neil was doing is listening to worship music. And it was, it was helping him orientate his life differently. Another one, those in authority who seem to have it together. You know, I, I did my undergrad at Illinois State University, and I had a professor there that was held in high esteem in the campus community for his insights into life. And, and he, was, he was a devout atheist, uh, a, a proponent of, of Frederick Nietzsche, and student after student would tell of his impact on, his, on, on their lives, how his counsel helped shape their lives. And I want to be easy on, on this, this gentleman, but the Bible describes his wisdom as futile. It describes him as being caught by the Lord. Now, again, I want to be gentle here because do I scoff at him? Um, do I make fun of him? No. And I, I will say I use social media enough that it, it has become far too acceptable in Christendom today. The idea of making fun of people who... Uh, do not share the same worldview as us. And, and we think we see their, their posts on social media or we see them in the, uh, on, on the news or it might be a political figure or a, an artist or, or a musician or somebody. And, and we kind of have this mindset of how on earth could they think that way? What an idiot. Their minds aren't renewed. Of course they think that way. What? Why don't I think that way? It's the grace of God in my life. And, and somehow it's become acceptable for us as Christians to, to ramrod our Christian worldview into the mind of an unbeliever. It's the spirit that does the work. How dare I think, why can you think that, you idiot? It's by the grace of God that I am where I am. My heart needs to, to break for my professor. I need to approach him with humility, and godly wisdom, and ultimately the gospel, because I want his heart to change, right? 1 Corinthians 3, 18 speaks of, of this professor. Let, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So my heart is compassion towards him. And, and meanwhile, I'm watching my own heart. The, the blessed man, one pastor says, is not to walk to the drumbeats contrary to God's word. He does not become accustomed to these philosophies by continually walking by, standing with, and sitting among. 
The expository uh, Bible commentary says, Psalm 1 holds forth the blessedness of godliness, encouraging the godly to pursue the way of God over and against the way of the world. See, this delighting results in things the blessed man won't do. He won't walk, he won't stand, and he won't sit with the scoffers. But it also results in other things. And let's skip down to verse 3. Here's some other results of the blessed man. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. Because he does not do the things we previously looked at in verse one and he delights in God's instruction, he's described as a tree. Now in the arid regions of the Middle East, you can understand why a flourishing tree would be such a great simile for the blessed man, right? You'll notice that he is not just a wild tree or, or as my dad would call them, junk trees that just kind of plant themselves haphazardly and planted in awkward places. But this is a tree planted intentionally and that is cultivated. It's by streams of water. So if one river should fail, there is an abundance still available. And this tree yields its fruit in its season. He yields good fruit and at the right times. Spurgeon says, this man brings forth patience in the time of suffering. Does that sound good? Patience in the time of suffering. Faith in the day of trial. Does that sound good too? And holy joy in the hour of prosperity. This man brings forth patience in the time of suffering. Faith in the day of trial and holy joy in the hour of prosperity. He is ready. Have you ever said, if I ever go through something like my friend has gone through, I hope I can respond in that way also. We often kind of do that. We kind of deify Christians that are, are struggling with major illness or, or major suffering in their lives, and yet they're still testifying to uh, the joy in the Lord and, and resting in him. And we say, wow, I hope I could do that. I hope I could be like one of those Christians. Let me tell you, you, you are. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have access to the same things that your friend has access to, right? There's nothing special about your friend. What's special is the Savior your friend is trusting in, and you have access to that same Savior. That person's empowered by the Holy Spirit. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit. That, the Spirit works in their life. The Spirit can work in our lives to yield fruit at the appropriate time. He can do this in all of us as we delight in the law of the Lord and we meditate on his law day and night. He goes on to say, the leaf does not wither. The deeds of the blessed man are not fleeting. These deeds last. There's lasting impact. Not only does his fruit last, but even the leaves last as well. And all that he does prospers. The fruit that this man produces is not for himself. It's for others. The prospering here is not the prospering of himself, but his life prospers others. Now, I mentioned earlier my professor at ISU, and I believe God used him in my life to rattle my spiritual cage as a 19-year-old college student to see if I really believe what I believe and how much of this do I really believe, having placed my faith in Christ alone as an early teenager, recognizing that, that I believe that, that Christ's death, burial, and resurrection was enough, was enough to pay for my sin. So I trusted in that to pay for my sin. But then six years later, here I am with this devout atheist saying things that are very contrary to what I believed, 
but those around him and saying what a wonderful man he was and what great insight. So I had to ponder, I had to think about, I had to actively ponder and meditate on the scriptures and say, is this really true? So I read verses like Romans 8, 32. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So I, I, I hearing people around me saying, yeah, the Bible's nice, but also this book or the, the Bible's good, but what about this with it? I had to ponder, okay, if God gave us his own son, he's already graciously given us all things through his word. I don't need the Bible and... And as I pondered that, you know, verses would come to life to me, like 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that I can be adequately equipped for all good works, right? All works I could be equipped for. And I had to come to this realization that the Bible was worthy of my meditation day and night. It is worthy of that. I came across a discussion on the Gospel Coalition website between Tim Keller, John Piper, and D.A. Carson. And they were discussing the scripture and they entitled the discussion, Make the Bible Your Thing. And John Piper said this, the legacy I want to leave is utter, utter devotion to the particularities of all of the Bible. That's the legacy he wants to, to leave, is utter devotion to the particularities of all of the Bible. And then Carson quipped, then, then there is potential for self-correction under the authority of the Bible. Carson is saying here that there is, there is blessedness under the authority of the Bible. So we need to consider, have I made the Bible my thing? Why not try it, right? And, and, and in the front of an old Bible of mine, I have the names of men that have impacted my life. There's one thing they all have in common. These men have all made the Bible their thing. And their leaf has not withered. They're yielding good fruit. They have prospered me. So what does it look like to have the Bible as your delight, to make the Bible your thing, to be like a tree? I asked some fellow believers here at Bethany Community a question this week via email. Um, how has meditating on scripture been a delightful thing to you? Okay, these are people that you're sitting next to. And I will say, I, I had to cut off the flow of impact of, of emails I was getting back to me because I was getting so, such an excitement of testifying to how meditation on scripture has blessed them that I finally had to reply to all and say, okay, thanks. <laughs> I got other things to say in this sermon. I can't just be reading all of your statements, although this is, this will preach, okay? This will preach. Here's one. Meditating on scripture has radically changed how I handle situations. Another, meditation on scripture in conjunction with prayer enables me to focus on what's important and keeps me in my Father's will. Another, scripture meditation is a new discipline to me. In addition to yearly reading calendars, I've slowly started to memorize and meditate on scripture. It's caused me to slow down, wait on God, and listen to the meaning and application his spirit reveals to me. It's a valuable new addition to the way I study the Bible. Here's another. It helps me connect the dots in the big picture storyline of the Bible, resulting in sweet aha moments. Another, the Lord uses specific passages that I've been meditating on to show me more of who he is. Another, it often leads me to understanding the passage and thus God better. Still another, slowly meditating on and memorizing God's word forces me to carefully consider each word and causes the beauty of the truth of God's word to be brought to mind throughout the day. 
Still another, it causes me to greater purpose than what I'm naturally focused on. Still another, it fills my heart with joy. Another, meditating on scripture gives me peace. Another, I love how scripture leads so readily to prayer, especially in the Psalms. Another, meditating on God's word is a delight because it is alive, timely, always meeting me afresh with daily needed mercies and grace. Another, recently meditating on God's word has changed my approach to some hard relationships and my own hurt. Another, meditating on scripture never fails to increase my strength, joy, and peace. Another, meditating on scripture has been a delight to me because it helps me gain deeper insights, both in my devotional times and throughout my day. And I'll share this last one. There is absolutely nothing more necessary, rewarding, and satisfying in life than spending time thinking deeply on what God says to us from his word. Let's look briefly at person two. The wicked man tries to survive. The wicked man, bless his heart, tries to survive. Who are the wicked here? Again, we mentioned those living outside of Israel, but maybe also those who are within Israel who are struggling, right? So as we take that to today's context, as those who have not believed in Jesus, who have not seen him as sufficient to place their faith in him, to pay for their sin. Bottom line, they're struggling with trying to make sense of life apart from God, right? Now, I don't want you to be offended by me here because if you have not placed your faith in Christ, it's the scripture that is saying that you're struggling with wickedness, right? And so I sit on no holy high mountain looking down upon you because, but by the grace of God, I am the wicked. And yet I still struggle with wickedness in my own heart. But here's the reality. The wicked are like chaff, it says here. The wicked are like chaff. Now, I don't know a lot about wheat, okay? But I know that when you thresh the wheat, you're squeezing out or beating the grain out of the, the wheat stalks. And then you winnow the wheat. You blow air over the wheat. Maybe you pour it. Maybe you blow a fan. Maybe you allow natural air to blow it. But what you're doing is you're getting the chaff away. That last little bit of whew, whew, that's the wicked. They're like chaff. They're easily blown away. What a contrast to the tree planted by streams of water, right? With those deep roots growing deeply in the ground. Whew, the wicked are like chaff. That's the wisdom that comes to the wicked. It's like chaff. It's easily blown away. These counselors that as believers were so tempted to walk, stand, and sit with, their counsel's dead spiritually. In fact, the wicked will not stand before the Lord and be welcomed by him. Verse six says that they will perish for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So the easy application for this, right, is to throw off worldly counsel to live a life apart from God. We must also repent of the times we have allowed worldly wisdom to creep into our mindset. The times where we've said, God, I can make sense of life apart from you. That's what the Bible calls sin. We need to repent of that. Even prayerlessness, right? What are we saying? God, I can make sense of life apart from you. I won't humble myself before you. I won't spend time with you in prayer because I can do this without you. We need to repent. I need to repent. I need to take up my cross daily. We need to take up our cross daily. 
Do we really believe that? Or have we believed the lie of the world that says, follow your heart when Jesus says, follow me? The world says, discover yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. The world says, be true to you. Jesus says, be true to me. The scripture provides the believer with life-giving counsel and joy. Why would we look anywhere else? God has given us Jesus and his word to point us towards Jesus. So while our flesh tells us to delight in other things contrary to God's word, we hear the call of God saying, delight in my book, delight in my word. It gives you life, it gives you me. So if you are thinking again, this isn't working though, Ben. Ponder afresh the scripture. Ponder what meditating day and night looks like, looks like for you. I want to end with excerpts from a story used by permission by our counseling ministry here at Bethany. And when I read this, it sounded to me like a person who's delighting in the law of the Lord. Here's the testimony. A friend shared with me that Bethany had a biblical counseling ministry. It was open to everyone and free of charge. But after a very easy phone call and a few emails, I had an appointment with a counselor. I was thankful for another shot at receiving help, but fearful that I may never find the answers from which I was so desperately searching. I arrived at my first appointment and after I spent a while sharing my life experiences, failures and hurts, my tears cried out for help in a way that my proud heart was unable. Then I was asked to open my Bible. Yes, it actually says that, yes. <laughs> my heart leapt and was immediately put at ease knowing that this was the place and these were the people that could help me find the truth for my problems grounded in God's wisdom, not man's advice. I met with my new counselor two or three times and at each session, he literally had me read scripture to answer the questions I was asking. Question after question, he presented me, uh, he presented me with the answer sovereignly planted in the word of God. The Holy Spirit took a hold of my heart and challenged my thinking in a place so deep I could no longer deny my sin. I needed to change. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17, nine. My imperfect marriage wasn't the roots of my problem. My own heart was. Now, finally, the truth was coming together for me little by little as I kept my center on my almighty father. I would have to write an entire book to be able to share every lesson I learned on this journey. But the most important change was my focus on God's word being the complete and utter truth. Every answer I ever needed and will ever need is right there between Genesis and Revelation. Let's pray. God, would you make us people of the book? Would you allow us to be people that could say, the Bible is my thing. We'd be devoted to the utter particularities of the Bible. Help us to apply the gospel applications and know that your path of joy does work. We trust you, Lord, and know that you can do that. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.